0: really excited for the Word tonight. The, the title of my message is, is, What's in Your Hand? And as I was praying this week, I feel like sometimes we look at God's plan and we think about God's plan for our life and we go, I know God has to have a plan for me. I hear that God has a plan for me. But then if you're like me, you kind of freak out a little because you look at all the people that he had plans for in the Bible and they were pretty crazy things he asked them to do. Like, <laughs> so then we're going to talk about a few of them tonight, but I go, man, I'd go to Nineveh, go to, go get all the Israelites out of Egypt, go, um, all of these different, save a nation, Esther, um, all of these things that when God said he has a plan for somebody's life, it seems like this huge, unimaginable thing, so I was thinking about that as I was just praying this week and praying for um, service, and I was actually praying about it before my dad had asked me to minister, which was Kind of funny and worked out really well, but I was praying about it just personally going, I feel like God has so much in store for our lives. His plans are so amazing, but I can't help but feel disqualified. I can't help but feel like God's plans are so huge, but I'm just so little. I feel like that regardless of how hard I try, I I don't know if I could ever accomplish the fullness of what he has for my life, the fullness of what he wants to accomplish in, in even this church in the valley, that it seems so big when you think about what he asked people to do in the Bible. But I want to encourage us tonight that God's created each of us with purpose, each of us with a plan. He's given each of us gifts and talents and ability that are like no one else in this room, no one else in the world, no one else in history. And he has a plan for you to accomplish something in your life that no one else can fulfill but you. And I want to be encouraged by that. But then I also want to break it down to go, this is how simple it is. So if you want to flip over to Matthew twenty five fourteen. And this is the parable of the talents, and it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods into them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents, and look, I've gained five more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents and look, I have gained two more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look there, what I have, or what you have is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I not have, um, or I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received uh, my, back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Um, so what I want us to get from this before we go in to the actual stories is that there's something in each of our hands. There's something that God has given each and every one of us. And our job, why we're here, is to use that, to steward that for God's purpose, for his benefit, for to for his glory. Not to glorify ourselves, but to take these things that we can bring back and go, look what I did with what you gave me. Look what I did with what, you, what you've put in my life. And it says that the one servant, though, he went and hid it. He went and hid the talent. When he came back, he goes, well, I, I gave you back what you gave me. And Sometimes we think about that servant and we're like, how dumb. Like, why would he do that? But when I think about the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given each and every one of us, how easy is it to go, I don't know how God wants me to use this. I don't know. I don't want to mess up with what he's given me. I don't want to mess up with what he's put in my hand. So I'm just going to set it here. And hopefully he comes back and tells me how to use it. Or at least I can give it back to him in one piece without breaking it. Right? Okay, that's how we view some of the things that God has given us. And that's how this servant, I think, was, was taking it. Is he's, he's going, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. And so we're going to go through some examples throughout the Bible. Um, tonight's my, I'm not going to go to a ton of scriptures, but I just want to talk. I just want to hang out with you guys. So Moses is the first one I want to use and in Exodus 4. It's kind of where this whole story begins. You don't have to flip over there because I'm just going to kind of paraphrase the story. But we know Moses born in Egypt. And at that time, Pharaoh was having all the male children killed and he was saved. And he ended up being able, his mom raised him for the first five years of his life. And then he was in the palace. He lived in the palace, his family to Pharaoh, because his daughter, Pharaoh's daughter has adopted him and Pharaoh's daughter had taken him in. So he's in Egypt for 40 years at this point. And he sees one day, he sees that one of the Egyptians is is just beating and beating and beating one of the, the Israelites, which are one of his people. And he's just not okay with this. And so he goes in and he kills the Egyptian because he, he didn't feel right about what was happening and he'd had enough of it and he'd been there for 40 years. Well, now Pharaoh's after him. Pharaoh wants his life. So he flees. He flees to the land of Midian. And there he, he ends up getting married. He ends up um, a shepherd. And he takes over the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, and he's here for 40 years. So he's, in, so he's 80 years old at this point um, when we're going to pick up in this story. But I want to point out something here first 40 years of doing anything, you're going to be pretty good at it. Like, I'm not even 40 years old. And so, like, 40 years of doing one thing, I'm like, wow, that's impressive. Um, that's a long time. So you think about him being a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness. He knows every route there is. I mean, those of you that are over forty years that have lived in the valley for this long, you know like where the hot spots are, where the not hot spots are, where to go hang out, how to get away with whatever you want to get away with. That's what the valley is, okay? That's where that's where Moses is. He knows all the ins and outs, he knows all of it. Well then you have that he's a shepherd as well. And shepherding in Bible times was a lot different than shepherding now. I mean, they didn't have fences, and they had to move the sheep from one place to the next. They had to train all of these sheep to recall or to to come to a certain call for the herd, or the flock, I guess they're called. And then he can call them out by individuals as well, which was crazy to me. You can call one sheep with a call just to come to you. And so he had to be concerned over the whole flock of sheep, but then he had to be concerned over each individual sheep, because it's a big deal to lose a sheep in these times. And then he would take him from one side of the wilderness to the other for food, for water. He's pretty experienced at being a shepherd at this point. But then part of what a shepherd is also is he has to feed these sheep. He has to guide these sheep. He has to protect these sheep. He has to tend to these sheep. Okay, so he's had 40 years of practice doing this. Isn't that crazy for what God's going to call him to do next? So then he's out in the wilderness with his sheep one day. And uh, oh, one thing I want to say right before that is that he, he had two sons, but one of them he named Gershom. And Gershom means to be driven or thrust out. And if you study out why exactly he named his son that is because he felt like God had saved him in Egypt. God had, he was living in Pharaoh's house. God had saved him, obviously, because all of these babies were being killed. All the Hebrew children were being killed. And God had saved him. So he names this, I'm driven and I'm thrust out. That's where I feel. And so in talking about what's in our hand and talking about these plans and these purposes that God has on our life, I wonder how many of us feel like we've kind of been, we made a decision and we've kind of been thrown out or thrust out and we're a little bit at a distance from what we thought God wanted for our lives. And now I'm just out here roaming in the wilderness. And so that's where he was, he named his son this just to describe his life at this point. I feel like I'm thrust out. I feel like I've been driven out from where I'm supposed to be. And now I'm just wondering here. And so with God's plans in our life, maybe we're in this point. Maybe we're at this point where we go, I, I feel like I made a decision. I feel like I made the right decision. But I feel like it's on me regardless. But I was thrust out and I was driven out from where God had me. Well, then, he's going through the wilderness one day with his sheep and he sees a burning bush. And he goes over to this burning bush and the bush starts talking. And where we're going to pick up this story, we're not going to go through the whole thing. But basically, God says, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to get my people out of Egypt. And he's like, uh, a, they're trying to kill me. B, I don't know how you want me to do that. Like, I, I, I can't do it. I don't know what you want me to do. And uh, how am I supposed? They're not going to listen. How do they know that I've actually heard your voice? How do they know that they're going to listen to me? And God says, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? And he, he had a staff in his hand. But I wonder, Moses, at that moment, sometimes we just read through these stories. I like to be the character. So I'm like, I'm Moses. I've left Egypt. And I'm talking to a burning bush. That'd be awesome. But so I'm Moses, right? And God says, what's in your hand? The bush asked me what a stick was. (laughs) Seriously, we can't just read over these things. They're very important details. The bush asked what this, uh, it's, it's, did you not create, am I talking to the wrong God? Like you created this thing. It's just the stick. Okay. So he's going, um, whale, that would be a staff. That would be a stick. And so I'm sure Moses' mind is like, because, you know, well, I don't know about you guys, but our girl minds are sitting here going, how can I use this stick to get the people out of Egypt? I will beat the Egyptians. I will stab the Egyptians. I will make it like I'll sharpen an end and just like spin it around really fast and start cutting people. Like we're trying to figure out how this stick is going to get the people out of Egypt. Hey, that's where my mind would go. I'm like, hmm, the possibilities are endless. Everybody needs a stick. If I give everybody in Egypt a stick, that's where my mind would be going with this story. God's wasn't. It's crazy that we don't think alike. I don't understand it. But he says, what is it that's in your hand? What's in your hand? And what that question actually meant was when he says, you know, that that staff that's in your hand, that's what I want to use. That staff was something that Moses had with him every single day. That staff was what Moses used probably to lean on. I would lean on my staff. (laughs) So it was something that he depended on, something that he leaned on. Climbing up a hill, he probably needed it to walk uphill and downhill because the desert is probably pretty rough to get around in the wilderness. So he has that. It, it is used to guide the sheep. It is used to lead the sheep. He probably used it to hit something or someone at some point. I'm convinced that's what he used it for at some point. Okay, so this is like part of his life. It's It was formed of his identity. And so what God's saying here is he says, Moses, um, I don't really care what everybody thinks, whether you heard from me or not. And I don't really care whether you can't speak. I, I don't really care whether you feel qualified or not. What I'm saying is, where you've been for the past 40 years, where you are right now, that's the thing if you surrender to me that I want to use. That's the thing that I want to use to accomplish my purpose. He didn't ask Moses to change, but he used where Moses was, who Moses was, what Moses was used to doing to accomplish his purpose. All Moses had to do was he said, lay your staff on the ground, throw it on the ground. Watch what I can do through this staff. And we all know the rest of the story. I mean, Moses, puts it in the sea, and it parts. Moses hits a rock and water comes out. This staff was used for incredible things, incredible things. But it was because it was signifying Moses laying down his identity, Moses laying down who he was, Moses laying down what he did, his occupation, his plans, Moses laying those things down so that God can work through him. His ordinary self so that God can do extraordinary through him. That's what God was trying to say. And so back to where we started, we go, God's plans are so vast. But I look at how simple this is. God wants to use who we are. God wants to use what's in our hand. What's in our hand, I ask? What's in your hand? What job do you have? Are you a stay-at-home mom? Do you coach? What, what job? What things do you have? That, that's who I am what is in your hand, that's surrendered to God, that's what God's going to use. He didn't ask Moses to be a completely different person to lead these people. He asked Moses because he already knew where the wilderness was, how to get around the wilderness, how to lead, how to feed, how to guide, how to protect. He was already 40 years of experience in that business. And God asked him to do the exact same thing with his people. The exact same thing. So Moses, or God was not concerned that Moses wasn't up to the task. God was going to do the extraordinary through him, but then it became natural. He was already doing these things. He just had to surrender what was in his hand. That, that's all. So, that, so this first point is when we feel maybe like we've been distanced from God, when we feel like we're, we're kicked out a little bit, like he thrust out from the plan that God has on our life, God isn't asking us to change. God isn't asking us to be perfect. And again, we can't make God look good all he's asking us to do is surrender what's in our hand. So I want to go to our next example, and we have David. And we've all heard a lot about a Dave, David, but the story picks up in Second in Samuel. Again, you don't have to turn there. Um, but basically, we had King Saul that was over Israel. And King Saul was not doing his diligence, so we needed a new king on the throne. And so God tells Samuel, I need you to go to the house of Jesse, and I need you to to anoint the king. But one of the key things that he says here is he says, I don't want you to look at his outward appearance, meaning I don't want you to look at what he can do, how he looks, his talents. I don't want you to look at any of that. I look at the heart, and that's what I'm focused on. And so Jesse brings all of his sons in, and God says, well, that's not him. 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 Samuel's like, well, I've been through all of them. And so he says, Jesse, do you have any other sons? And he goes, oh, yeah. I do have one. Sometimes we forget our children. Don't worry. It's okay. Jesse did it, and he became king. So in other words, maybe if you forgot your children, God would call them more often. Um, (laughs) But he says, go get him. So he brings him in, and he says that he was a a ruddy guy. So he comes in. He's around 15 years old at this point. And God says, anoint him as king. So he's anointed as king. Well, then, not very long after this, and we don't hear much about David before this. So it kind of, we read forward in the story while we're reading backwards at the same time. So before all of this, David's job was to tend the sheep. David's job was protect these sheep. So the theme of the story and tonight is, all of us should become shepherds. If we get some sheep, God shows up to David, to Moses. And I think there's other people that had sheep in the Bible too. Okay, so everybody go buy some sheep. Your own little flock. This is where God shows up. So he has his sheep, and God comes, and and he has to protect these sheep. He has to feed these sheep. We just talked about what what Moses did with the sheep. So David's doing the same thing, but much younger. Then the other thing that we find out here in a minute is that he was experienced with his harp. And we're also told later on that he was a man after God's own heart. So we know that he had a, a heart of worship. We know that what he did consistently was worship God. What he did consistently was take care of these sheep. So the story goes forward. After he's anointed king, then Saul's having some trouble. There's some stuff messing with his head. He's dreaming weird things. He needs somebody to come play a harp. And one of his servants tell him, well, there's this, there's this kid that Jesse has. And if you bring him in, he's, he's experienced with the harp. He's experienced. And one of the verses that I want to read, if we can flip over there, just because I love how it says it. Let's go to First um, Samuel 16. Because I just find how this is said very interesting. But 16 verse 18. And it says, Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Okay. David has not fought in battle yet. David is 15 years old. He has tended sheep. So how this guy can say he's a man of war, he's a mighty man of valor, and the Lord is with him, shows us that David was actually doing something and, and doing stuff with his sheep that proved these points because a servant of the king to recommend this guy, that had to be a pretty big deal. So he had to be doing something to be a man of war, a man of valor, that this guy is saying to King Saul to bring him in. So David comes in, and it was true. He plays his harp, and he plays his harp, and he plays his harp. And Saul ends up saying, um, so David came to Saul and stood before him. And he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So Saul loves this guy. Saul loves that David's in there. But do we see, again here, David was just using what was already in his hand. David was just using what was already there. He was already a skillful heart player. He was using what was already there. The other thing that I want to point out here is that he was anointed king. So there's two sides to this story we just talked about in, with Moses that he was kind of, the I was kicked out. I was thrown out. I feel like I've been thrown away from my dream or thrown away with the plan that God has for me. Well, David has two sides here that I want to point out. One of them is David could feel like God kind of forgot about me. God forgot about me because it's been so long. God forgot. My own dad forgot about me when Samuel showed up. And then this is 15 years from the time that he was anointed to be king to the time he came king. 15 years. And most of those 15 years, Saul was after him trying to kill him. And so David can be the guy that I'm trying to use what God has given me, but I feel like God's forgotten about me. I feel like God has just left me out here. I'm running away. I'm trying to, to fight for my life, but I feel like God has forgotten about me. Have we ever felt that way? God told me something. I felt like there was a dream. I felt like God had a plan for my life, and God forgot about me. I feel forgotten. But here's what what David did. He didn't. And then the other side of that is sometimes we see the plan of God for our life, and all of a sudden we're, like, escalated. And I can see David going, Saul asking him to come play, and he's like, no, no, sir. I'm the new king. You should be playing for me. Okay? He was just anointed king, but he didn't take that approach. David still served. David used what he had in his hand, and surrendered that to God today. He didn't look down the road and go, no, I'm the new king on the block. You come play for me. Don't tell me what to do. That's not what he said. And then he goes to Goliath, and I would think if I was supposed to be king and there was a chance that I would die, I would probably avoid the, that scenario. God said I was going to be king, and now this guy wants me to go fight this giant. Mm, I probably shouldn't. I think that I'll take my life. I think I'll send someone else to do it because I'm the new king on the block. David did neither of those things. But it's so easy for us to do that we go, God has this plan for me. And so now all of these things I suddenly just need to get rid of. And I just need to focus on that plan. I just need to But without Goliath, without playing in the palace, this could be a completely different story. But David chose the thing that's in my hand today. I will surrender to God. And so we know the story goes forward and it says that um, he, gets, he, he takes his brother's food and he sees Goliath. And he says, well, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that thinks he can defile the armies of God? Like, who is this guy? I'll fight him. And Saul's like, you can't fight him, you're a youth. And he's like, I've, I've killed a lion and a bear. Like, your own guy told you I was a mighty man of valor, just let me do it. And Saul's like, alright. But Saul tried to put him in his armor. See, the thing is, we can't use... what's in someone else's hand to accomplish what God has for our lives. We can't use what was in Saul's hand to fight. I have to use what God's put in my hand to fight. I'm not skilled with what's in Saul's hand. I'm skilled with my slingshot. I'm not skilled with Saul's armor and sword. I'm skilled with what God has already given me. But too many times we try to fight with the way someone else fights or face life or accomplish what God wants the way someone else does it. God didn't put that in your hand. He put that in theirs. And that's what David recognizes, and he goes, I'm not skilled this way. I'm skilled with my slingshot. And so he takes a slingshot. But I love over and over in verse 17, David never says my slingshot is going to kill him. He says, let's see where I want to start here. In verse 40, he said, then he took his staff in his hand, and he And chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. In a what bag? He didn't have a cool armor bag. He had a shepherd's bag with him. And his sling was in his hand. His sling was in his hand. What's in your hand? What's in your hand that you're going to surrender to me? What's in your hand that you're used to using? What's in your hand that's ordinary to you that I'm going to use to make extraordinary in this circumstance? And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So, I mean, Goliath's checking him out. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. So when I surrender what is in my hand, For God to use. He surrenders those things that come against me into my hand. But that's only when I surrender. Because if my hand is closed and I don't surrender it to God. God can never deliver something else into my hand. God can never deliver that thing I'm facing into my hand. Because it's already closed. I'm closed on the things that I have. I haven't surrendered those things to God. But because David surrendered the thing in his hand. It says that he will be delivered into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. Don't you wish we could talk like that? (laughs) Like, I think it'd be great. And this day I will give you the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And so basically, I mean, the story goes on. We've read the story over and over. But the the purpose that I wanted to point out is is that you're going to be delivered into my hand today because I've surrendered what's in my hand to God. And it doesn't matter if I feel forgotten. It doesn't matter what social status I may have, it doesn't matter the plan that God has told me. I know that today I'm surrendering my slingshot to God and it's gonna do amazing things. Today, I surrender what's in my hand. So it's every single day that we surrender what's in our hand. That's what we learn here from David. But then going forward now, it's 15 years before he actually becomes king and he's running for his life. But what he does, even in this time, everything that crosses David's path, everything that's in his hand, he surrenders to God throughout this entire 15 years. If you, if you read through there, he's taking different armies. That, he's protecting different people. He's fighting battles. Even while Saul is chasing him, he is using, even when we feel like, man, God's forgotten about me, everything's attacking me, the, the position I'm supposed to have is taking me out currently, I'm still using everything I have to surrender to God. I'm still using what is in my hand to surrender to God. And then we find out that he actually is anointed king of Judah, Before, he's anointed king of Israel. He wasn't anointed king of Israel until seven years after he was anointed king of Judah. That entire time that Saul was chasing him, he was fighting and protecting the people of Judah. And that's where he became king first because he used and surrendered what was in his hand at that point to God. And God did extraordinary things. And that's what opened the door for him to actually step into king of Israel. So it wasn't about just being king of Israel. He was king of Judah first. But he had to go through and surrender every single day and not be so focused on what God said and not be so focused on being forgotten that he surrendered every single day. And that's where God brought him to where he was supposed to go. And then the next one is we have Joseph. And Joseph is one of my favorite people in the Bible. But we, Joseph is betrayed by his brothers because he's a dreamer. Okay, he dreams, he interprets dreams. That's that thing in his hand. And so he gets betrayed by his brothers. He gets sold to a caravan that was headed to Egypt. And then all of a sudden he's a servant in, in Potiphar's house. But even as a servant, Joseph used what was in his hand so that God could work through him. And it said he found favor in Potiphar's sight. Okay, but then he gets falsely accused. Like, okay, betrayed is one thing. Now I'm a servant is another thing. And now I'm falsely accused and I'm thrown in prison. It's kind of strike three for me. But instead, even in prison... He's using that thing that God put in his hand. He's using. He's interpreting people's dreams in prison. He's serving people in prisons where it says that he was actually one of the, the bosses of the prison, that he moves up in the, the management of the prison system because he chose to use that thing that God put in his hand. So regardless of his circumstance, regardless of being betrayed, regardless of feeling like I've been falsely accused, I didn't even put myself here, it's not my fault that this happened to me, And so many times we want to blame God for that. So many times when we're looking at the plan that God has for our life, we go, yeah, I wish I could get there. I saw that dream, you know, that I had, that I started talking about to begin with. It got me in this trouble. It's the reason I'm in prison. But now I feel like I I, I can't get there because I've been betrayed. I can't get there. And it would be easy for Joseph to make it everybody else's fault. It would be easy for Joseph to say, I didn't put myself in this position. Why should I serve God in this position? That would be easy for him to do. But he chose even in those circumstances that I'm going to use what God put in my hand for him to still be doing miraculous things through. And that's what brought him out of prison. So if he wouldn't have used what God gave him in the prison, he would have never got out and made it to the palace. But he used it even being betrayed, even being hurt, even in a place of going. This wasn't my fault. He still used what God gave him. He still used what was in his hand. So what I'm getting at is regardless of what situation in life that we might be facing, regardless of where we're at, regardless of where we're standing right now, regardless of w- where in life that if we feel abandoned, we feel like we're kicked out from God's plan, we feel forgotten from God, we feel anywhere that we are, we know that what is in my hand can still be used by God. Where I'm at right now can still be used by God. God wasn't like, mm, "I'm against using prisoners. Sorry that I yeah, yeah, I don't know how you got there. It's not what God said. He was like, You're surrendering what you have where you are, and I'm gonna use it. Prisoner or not. That's what God was using with Joseph. And then we can look at Queen Esther. Just going through all these examples so that nobody leaves us an excuse that she didn't cover my situation. We have Queen Esther, and God set her as queen over a kingdom. And she's ruling and she's reigning. Well then she finds out. She finds out Naaman's plan for Mordecai, and he wants to kill all of her people. Well, she got comfortable being queen. She got comfortable in the position that God gave her. Hmm. Sometimes we get comfortable in the position that God has put us. We recognize God has got us here. We thank God for getting us here, and we're doing what we feel like we need to be do while we're here, but we're comfortable in the position God has gave us. But now I need to do something else. Now this position is in my hand. This position, her position was the thing that was in her hand. Now she can surrender that for God to do more through or she can hold on to that and go, God, thank you for putting me in this position and I never have to face bad things again. Thank you for putting me here. I'm comfortable in my palace. God put me here. He wouldn't, he wouldn't let anything bad happen to me. God put me here. No. Mordecai, I love what he tells her because he goes, hey, do you not think you're going to be taken out with us? You're still one of us. Do you not think that by not surrendering where you're at to God isn't going to take you out too? And I went, hmm, how many times do we get comfortable in a place that God has taken us and we don't want to surrender this place to God and so we end up getting taken out anyway, even though God got us there. I don't want to surrender this position to God. I don't want to, God got me here and now it's mine. I don't want to surrender it to God. But instead, it's going to take her out too. It's a good thing she had Mordecai and then she goes, all right, I'm going to surrender this. She saves a nation. Even in, in whatever position we're in. The next one I want to look at is we, uh, Jesus is over at the, the Pharisee's house for lunch or dinner, mostly a meal. He was there, and this lady comes in. And this lady, she's, she's a prostitute. She's a sinner. The Pharisees are freaking out that she's even in there. They're not very happy with Jesus for letting her be in there. But she brought with her some perfume. She brought with her, when it, when it says that she brought her her flask of perfume, and when you study out what that is, it was a year's worth of wages is what it represented. So she was literally bringing everything she knew to give. Everything. She said, I'm surrendering myself. I'm surrendering all. What was in my hand was everything. And I'm surrendering it at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus told her, you know, when you change and you're no longer a sinner, you can come back and anoint my feet. And then we'll talk. Is that what he told her? No. He actually got on the Pharisees' case because they were mad. Because Jesus was going, hmm, even as a sinner, even as an outcast, even as I feel so far away from God, I've never been farther, I I could be stoned for who I am. That's how, that's, that. not drug stoned, don't take that the wrong way. Okay, I could be stoned for who I am. I, I'm giving everything I am. I am a sinner, and I'm coming to the feet of Jesus. I'm taking this thing in my hand, and I'm surrendering it to Jesus so that he can restore me, so that he can heal me, and he can set me free. So even in a place where we go, I don't even know God. I'm so far away from God, Shelby. You don't even know me. Look at me like you know me. I don't even know God. I'm so far away. And that's where this lady was, and she goes, I'm going to take what's in my hand, and I'm going to surrender it to God, because we serve a God that doesn't care where we are, we serve a God that doesn't care who we are, what the world says about us, what we say about us, what anybody says about us, as long as we take what's in our hand and surrender it to him, he takes ordinary and does extraordinary. We don't have to make God look good, he makes us look good. And that's where this lady was going. And my next story I want to read, we have the rich, and I actually want to read this one, but Matthew 19. Actually, 16. And it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones, Jesus? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? So basically he's telling Jesus he's perfect. It's like, hey, I already followed all your rules, so I can go to the kingdom of God, right? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. All right, do you guys wonder where the Capital One commercial came from? What's in your wallet? That's what Jesus was telling him. Okay, he's like, well, let's talk. Okay, that's, that's not the point of this, but it didn't make me laugh as I was reading this today. Like, these things come to my mind sometimes. But if you want to be perfect, I love how he calls him on it. Like, I know you're trying to tell me that you're perfect. So if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven to come follow me. All right, Jesus was telling this guy this, Jesus doesn't have anything against rich people. He wants us to be blessed. Okay, but Jesus was telling him this for the fact that that was something that was in his hand that he refused to surrender and Jesus knew it. He knew I would, this guy is not going to surrender this thing. And Jesus asked him, he goes, hey, go give that to the poor because the things that God has put in our hand, we could never do and even come close to doing the magnitude of what God can do with them. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across that, you can take that whole life, you can take those riches and and live your whole life and you will never come close to having the measure of joy, fulfillment and peace and life that I have to give you but I need you to surrender them first because as long as you're holding on to something, I can't use it and I can't do extraordinary things through it as long as you refuse to surrender it and that's what he's telling this guy and he says, but when the young man heard it, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He didn't want to surrender him I've earned these things. I got myself here, and I'm not going to surrender that to you, Jesus. I've lived a good life. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I speak right. I don't break the commandments. I follow the word of God. I go to church every Sunday and Wednesday and sometimes even Saturday, and I go to Bible study. But this area of my life, I will not let go of. And that's what Jesus pointed out, and he refused to surrender it and said he went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful because our hands in the Bible represent power, and when we hold on to the things in our lives, when we hold on to the things that God's put in our hand, in all, in all areas of life. You know, sometimes, sometimes moms are like, man, God can't do anything with me because I'm just home with the kids. But we just talked about Moses. And I think about Jacobed, that thing that was in her hand, she had to surrender to God for him to even be able to get to Pharaoh's house to begin with. And she was a mom that was just taking care of her kids. And God still used her through Moses to get what he had needed to get accomplished in Egypt. Because she surrendered that thing in her hand. So it doesn't matter if we're a mom. It doesn't matter if we're a coach. It doesn't matter if we're a police officer. doesn't matter where we work, what is in our hands, what gifts and talents and ability. Maybe it's an opportunity we need to surrender to God. It can be a decision we need to surrender to God. Because what we're talking about is not one thing like, God, I surrender my life. Every single day, what are we surrendering to God. That's what he had to do. That's what David had to do was every single day I'm surrendering this area of my life to God. I'm surrendering this thing to God. It could be several minutes a day. This minute I'm surrendering this because I'm dealing with it. This minute I'm surrendering this because I want God to work through every area of my life, every decision in my life, every opportunity in my life, every person in my life, and not just one thing. I want God to work through all areas. And so what is in my hand right now? And will I surrender it to God so that he can do extraordinary things through it? Is there a job opportunity? Is there a decision I'm making? Is there a family decision? My family, how do I lead my family? I'm, how do I be a student at school? How do I fill in the blank? What thing is in our hand? that we need to be able to surrender because when we let go of it in our hand, then God can use his power to that thing. But when we're holding on to it, we're just trying to do it through our power. And the word says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so when we're holding on to that, we cannot surrender it to God. But when we let go and we go, God, I surrender this to you. So what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What's in your hand tonight that isn't surrendered to God? And why isn't it surrendered to God? Is it fear like Esther is it comfort like Esther? Is it, I, I don't want to surrender this area of my life because I'm still mad that I'm here in the first place and I had nothing to do with it, like Joseph. Is it the area of our life that I feel like I've been kicked out of where God because I made a decision and I'm so far away? Can we surrender that area? What area is not surrendered to God? What things in our life, what is in your hand? And I want to reemphasize the fact because I feel like if this one revelation, if we could get this and that's where I started, if we can understand the fact that God's not expecting us to be anything before He uses us, we would live our lives different. Where I'm at, who I am, if I would surrender it to God, then that's where He can do extraordinary through my ordinary. I don't have to be a certain level of perfect, I don't have to have it all together. We might not say, I don't know the big scheme of the plans that God has for my life. Well, we know something. We don't have everything, we have something. Whatever we have must be surrendered to God and daily surrendered to God because then that's where he becomes our guide because it says that he is our shepherd. Jesus has sheep too. We are them. (laughs) So if you didn't like sheep in my first example, you're a sheep. Um, (laughs) That if we would grab and go, okay, God's going to guide me. God's going to protect me. God's going to lead me. God's going to feed me. God's going to, he does all the things that a shepherd does. It says that he's the good shepherd. So when I surrender every single day, then I know what things I need to let go of today, the opportunities I need to grab hold of, the the divine encounter. If I'm so focused on where God's taken me, I miss the right now. So I'm focused on the big dream. So I'm going to miss that person that was very key in my life that God put in front of me because I didn't surrender that day. Every single day, God has something that he wants to do in our lives. Every single day, there's a purpose to uh, accomplish. And every single day, we make decisions that affect us for eternity. Or we can make the decisions that give us temporal comfort. Every day, to surrender these areas in our life. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, Do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you remain faithful. Remain faithful. That it seems like maybe I'm forgotten. It seems like God's gone on without me. But in due season I will reap. Do not grow weary in doing good. What can I surrender today? I know I feel forgotten, but what can I surrender? What has God put in my hand today that I can surrender? Just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. So in kind of bringing this this all about, Satan wants to attack us when we feel like that God's forgotten us Satan wants to attack us when we feel like this is this plan is way too big it doesn't matter if you surrender that little thing Shelby what's God going to do with that doesn't matter Shelby look who you are look at the decisions you've been making God can't use that if you get your life right maybe he could use you Satan wants to keep us in a place of comfort God got you here those are the areas he's going to attack but God is always going to move us forward it's the glory to glory to glory to glory that he's constantly moving forward in our lives, but it's constant surrender on our part. And we talked about it with everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. We talked about that we, we live our lives in response to God through praise and worship. When we live daily surrendered lives, it says take up your cross daily. That every single day that I surrender to my God, then I'm uh, enabling him to work through me. Then I'm empowering him to work through me. But one day without and one day without surrender, then I've taken the power back in my own hands.